I hope you all had a lovely Christmas, or if it was a difficult one, I hope there were elements of loveliness in it, um, whatever you were doing. And also, I'd like to wish you all many blessings in the year ahead, and more importantly, many, many opportunities to bless others in 2022, uh, and I'm sure there will be. Now, we've had this series on the heart of Christmas, so just to recap, because for the first time in years, I felt a real, what they call on television these days, a story arc. I felt a real progression from one to the other. So we, you remember how Andrew spoke about the birth of a baby, God with us. Frank, and the wonder of that, Frank described the birth of a saviour very passionately, very vividly, the need for salvation. Uh, the one who will pay and pay willingly a dreadful but necessary price uh, to relieve the guilt of our sins. And last Sunday, it was online, but it was very, very good, uh, Steve described the birth of a king. And he challenged us that um, while we might have accepted Jesus as our saviour and been saved, are we really continually and universally uh, ready to accept his kingship in every area of our lives, our relationships, our attitudes, our willingness to forgive, uh, our service towards others, uh, and so on, the way we spend our money and conduct our lives. But the last of these talks and the last task that God sets Jesus as his son will be to judge the world. John, to judge the world. Thank you. Right here. <laughs> John 5.22 says, he's got his cues, you see. John 5.22 says, the father judges no one. The father, God, doesn't judge anyone because he has entrusted all judgment to the Son. And this isn't something, although it's constantly referred to in the Scripture, this isn't something that we like to think about or preach about too much these days, uh, even though it is continually mentioned again and again. The second coming of Jesus, the judgment, the putting right of all the faults of creation. You see, in history, and the Jews saw the Messiah as a king who was promised, a king has only two jobs, really. The first is to defend their people from external threats, from external aggression. And secondly, to maintain justice within it. And even today, if Andrew is here, tell us judges sit under the royal crest, listening to cases of Regina, the king, or Re uh, the queen, or Rex, the king, against the unfortunate accused. And so it was with the Jews' idea of their Messiah. And there are dozens of references in the Psalms and the prophets. There's nearly 30 alone in Isaiah to his establishing justice amid Israel's continuing lack of it. Not just against the wrongs that people do to each other, but also for those who are at the bottom of the pile, for those who are unfairly treated, for the weak, the poor, those who've had a bad hand of cards. He saw this and he wasn't pleased. Isaiah 5, 7, he looked for justice but saw bloodshed. He looked for righteousness, but heard only cries of distress. You see, we all want justice. We all want there to be justice, so long as it's not on us. If we or someone we care about has been hurt or wronged, we want things to be put right. And we know that in this world, despite the efforts of our legal systems, our governments and international organisations, there, for so many people, is little fairness, is little justice to be had. Unfairness, crime, sickness, injury, starvation, climate change, war. Where is God's justice? Where is the judge who can make things right? When will they put things right? 
Now, my dad's favourite film was one from 1952 that the 9.30 congregation were probably better able to remember than most of us here. But I have never seen this, but I know the plot inside out because he loved this film. Four of the worst murdering hombres this side of Cactus Gulch are heading to Gary Cooper's town where they've terrorised it to do really one thing, to kill the marshal. And he could run away. But he stands alone and he won't run as he's deserted on his wedding day. It's his wedding day, just to add a little bit of plot here, uh, by his wife, by his deputies, by the posse, by the townspeople. No one will stand with him. And of course, it's the movies. An hour later, all the bad guys are dead and justice prevails. Yes, and so it continues today because as well as light romantic comedies starring people like Meg Ryan, I also like action movies because I like justice. You know, you know the sort where there's a wrong that the police and the courts cannot put right, you know, and the A-team are just going to be too soft, so you have to send for Bruce or Denzel or Liam, or Liam, you know, <laughs> to put things right. And you know how it goes. The bodies are stacking up. Is it 47 killings in Taken, you know, in 90 minutes? That's one every two minutes, isn't it? But you never feel bad for them, A, because it's only the movies, and B, because they all were bad. They all deserved it. You see, we all want there to be judgment where wrongs are put right and the wrongdoers punished. It's ever been thus. You know, there's a story in Luke 9, a much smaller, there's no Russians or Albanians kidnapping people's children or, or murdering people. There's, a, there's just Jesus and his disciples are just wandering along like they always do in the stories and they come to a village, Samaritan village, and they, they weren't welcome. There's no evidence they were beaten out of town or insulted. It was just on your way, son, you know, and they were, they were not welcomed. And as they were heading out of town, James and John say, Lord, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? You know, and Jesus rebukes them. You don't think that's a little excessive on this occasion, you know. Uh, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? What a great superpower to have. Think if you had that, how you could make the world right. You see some criminals, you could just woof, and that's it. It would all be right. Militias, terrorists, wars in the Yemen and Afghanistan, woof, you know, they're gone. Let's work it down a little. Drug dealers in Hesketh Park, woof, fire from heaven, gone. I'm getting more trivial yet, although it annoys me. People who let their dogs foul on the pavement in Burtdale, woof, they're gone. And the dogs, woof, they're gone, yes. You know, people who've annoyed me just a little. <laughs> And then you think, and then you think, you know, thank God, thank God we don't have that sort of power. Thank God, like guns, you know, it's not the United States. Thank God we don't all have that power. You know, who have I wronged? Who would, woof, you know, who have I upset? Who have I wronged? People I've never even met in other countries just by living in a privileged society. You know, I'm far from perfect myself, aren't I? I am a sinner. I don't meet God's standards. And don't, don't look too surprised. At 9.30, I was getting a few looks. You know, what are you doing up there, son, then? You know. <laughs> Paul says, Paul says in Romans 3 that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No matter what we do, no matter how hard we try, there are many people, and most of the people in this room, I'm sure, are more godly than me. You cannot make the standard of God. You cannot escape the judgment for your failings, both individually and communally. And Paul, in fairness, Paul goes on to say, you know, among sinners, I'm the worst of them. If he was here and you were Thessalonians, he would be standing here and he said, I am the very worst of them. A certain humility comes with a certain awareness of your own shortfalls. 
But you know what? The church historically has taught a lot more than we do now about the coming day of judgment. And that's good in some ways, but often very out of context. This myth that we have in our society that um, um, the, um, we'll stand before the throne of God and he'll have a big book and he'll open that book and there'll be a list of our good things that we've done and there'll be a list of our bad things. And if that list is longer on the left-hand page, then it's a come in, me old sunshine. You know, this is heresy. This is a myth. You know, it doesn't work like that. Benjamin Franklin, the great American patriot and politician in the 18th century said, there are two things that are certain in life. One is death. The other is Taxes, yes, unless you're a billionaire, of course. Right, but Romans 14 says there is one more certainty that is coming our way just because of the natural need for there to be justice in this creation because of our falling short of the standard of God, and that is judgment. And on that day, when every man and every woman has to give an account of himself or herself before God, 14.7, I think it is, then our excuses and deceptions that a judge like Andrew or a magistrate like Penny is well used to. Indeed, every parent in this room is well used to. It wasn't me. It was her. It was him. They made me do it. You don't know what it's like. Uh, you know, it broke itself. You know, these excuses will... Oh, you've heard them, haven't you? You could probably think of some better ones, actually. But you know how it's like. None of these excuses will do us any good. And in addition, you used to frighten people in the church I was brought up in because not only is judgment inevitable and not only are we not going to make the standard, we also don't know when it's going to be. When it's going to be. Yes, because uh, um, we don't know the day of the second coming. When Jesus was on earth, he said to the disciples, I don't know the date. Uh, it's not for you to decide the day or the hour. But, you know, we could be called suddenly and at short notice. If I knew that I was going to live a healthy life till I was 75, and uh, you can bet that at 74 years and 11 months, I might start applying myself to my prayer, Bible reading, and doing good works a little bit better, you know. But it doesn't come like that. It comes, as Paul says today, and he's quoting Jesus in Matthew 24 and 25, it comes like a thief in the night. They don't make an appointment. Jesus went on to give other examples. He said, you know what? It's like a rich fool. And I, and I was reading a lot of these stories this week. The rich fool hasn't done anything bad to the poor people around him. He's just allowed himself to become obsessed with his business, with his barns, with his worldly life. And it says he's a rich fool because that very night he had a heart attack and had to give an account of himself. Like a businessman, we've had this story before, who leaves all his assets in the care of three of his stewards. And then he turns up, and Pete, as a surprise auditor, will know this, he turns up at no notice and demands an accounting. Or, this is my favourite story, like five foolish bridesmaids. Now, I'm sure all your bridesmaids were lovely, and I'm sure any of you little girls who've been a bridesmaid were excellent bridesmaids. bridesmaids sorry. But these bridesmaids were foolish bridesmaids. Daft girls, if you want. They have one job, one job to do, like good Middle Eastern biblical bridesmaids. They have to wait around, and when the bridegroom finally shows up to run out and dance and look pretty uh, and uh, welcome the bridegroom... But you know the story, they fall asleep on the job. They let the oil lamps run dry. And when the bridegroom turns up, they are very, very ashamed and embarrassed. Foolish bridesmaids indeed. So we're all guilty and we're not ready by God's standards. But we hold this reality of our guilt constantly repeated in the scripture alongside another equally constantly repeated. That the baby born in the manger will grow to be the saviour of the world, the saviour of each and every one of us. That's the message 
of this Christmas series. That's the story at the heart of Christmas. Think about our three readings that we always have at Christmas. Matthew 1, you are to call him Jesus, which means God saves because he will save you from their, he will save his people from their sins. Luke 2, today in the town of David, which children is what? What's the town of David? Begins with a B. Bethlehem, yes, a saviour has been born to you. A saviour has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Uh, And John 1, yet to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So that judgment we hold parallel in the Christmas stories. Thank you. We hold in parallel um, with, um, uh, with this reality of God's salvation. So when Jesus says in John 5 that the Father has entrusted all judgment to the Son, he immediately, without even drawing breath, goes on to say, but truly, truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who has sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over already from death to life. And when Paul says in Romans 3 um, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, he immediately goes on to say without drawing breath, but that may be true, but all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that that came by Christ Jesus. You see, we deserve judgment, but we are delivered from it. Now, I wish Andrew had been here this morning because I would have said to him, is it true that if you're in court and you know the secret way to tap your nose, the judge will throw out the case? Uh, Because that's what my dad also said was true. Um, But um, maybe that is facetious. But you know what? The Queen can pardon and the President of the United States can pardon. And in recent years, they've used that power to do some very good things, but also some terrible things. They sometimes let their friends off terrible crimes. And in recent years, even killers have been let off. That's not justice. That's egregious injustice to those who were the victims of those crimes. But the reason that Jesus can throw out the charges that are valid against us while still being a just judge is that he, as well as the judge, has also taken the punishment on himself for us. Our price has been paid. Our bond has, our fine has been paid for us. That's salvation. That is the heart of Christmas. That is the very heart of the Crispian gospel. So Paul says, do you know what, guys? It's unnecessary for us to be talking about when the second coming is going to be, not just because no one knows, but because it doesn't matter. If we are asleep or awake on the day of the Lord, if we die suddenly and sooner than the day of the Lord, we are already pardoned, saved, and living in the light, the light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never overpower it. We are already set free. And that's why in today's reading, uh, Paul describes the Christians as people who live in the light, children of the light. You know, the, uh, sons and daughters of the light. This is a very biblical, very Middle Eastern to this day theme. You know, they called Barnabas a son of encouragement. Uh, John, uh, Jesus called James and John sons of thunder. It's a way of describing your characteristics or where you're coming from. And in the same way, we are children of the light. The people who walk in darkness live in the light now, a light that the darkness will never overpower. So there are three things in today's reading I think we can take away as we live in freedom, as we live in the light of our salvation. First of all, we have a heavenly destiny. When you doubt your salvation, 
Just remember, as Paul says here in verse 9, for God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's, it's not just a promise. It's, it's, it's our appointment. It's guaranteed by Jesus. It's been paid for. It's what God wants for us. It's the natural state of affairs for the saved and that of everyone else who we can share that reality with and who accepts it. It's, um, you know, my job's out for advert at the moment because I, I'm leaving. Um, it's, uh, and it says the appointed candidate will earn this much and do this. You know, if they get appointed and the pay's only half that, they'll be right down to HR. You are appointed not to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And indeed, if you have accepted Jesus as your saviour, you already have that salvation. That's what Paul's saying. It doesn't therefore matter much whether you're asleep or awake when you're called before him. It's your destiny. It's your natural destiny in Jesus. Secondly, so no doubt about our salvation. Secondly, we are to be awake and sober like the wise bridesmaids as well as the five foolish bridesmaids. There were five very clever bridesmaids who stayed awake and kept their oil lamps full up. Oil lamps full up. And we live as wheat among the tares of this world until the judgment, protected only by Jesus' love and spirit in us, protected by faith and love. It says like a breastplate, like a policeman's bulletproof, stab-proof vest, sorry, um, and our hope of salvation on our heads like a helmet. And we are, because we are awake and sober, we maintain focus and we're not swept up by petty arguments and distractions or culture wars or political arguments or social media and gossip. And since judgment is coming, when the wheat and the tares and the weeds will be separated, we have no need to judge others. We have the certainty that God will take care of that for us. And in addition, if we start thinking about the failings of others, no matter how irritatingly trivial those people are who've annoyed us or how despicably wicked their actions are, often when we read about them, we are, whatever, we are going to lose focus on our own need for salvation and the reality that we have been saved from that. As verse 10 says, sleep or awake, our appointment is to live together with him, both now among the weeds and into eternity. So, remember salvation is your appointed destiny. Remember to remain awake and sober. But thirdly, and this relates to both, and this would be a great New Year's resolution uh, to work on, we are to encourage and build each other up, as in fact we are already doing. And I'm sure there's scope for myself personally and for all of us, I'm sure, to do a little bit better, to aim to do better this year. You know what? I was, you should never go off script because then you can never find out where you were. But I, I just couldn't resist saying this. I, I, there's this inflatable Italian chef who I call Luigi on the corner you've seen him and every time you pass him he waves like crazy and he smiles at you yo Johnny's saying you know get down there you know and you know Luigi is a blow-up inflatable chef we can do better you know <laughs> now you guys are thinking no you're not but the 930 might have been that I am very casually dressed to be preaching, you know. Um, but the, the, uh, what I wanted to say was, I'm wearing this very classy Doctor Who t-shirt because somebody got at me as a Christmas present. And you know, when you're single, and when you're single and both your brothers get COVID, you know, Christmas can be a difficult time. There's a lot of people in this church who are single. And mine was really blessed by the kindness and affection of so many people. And I said, you encouraged me so much, I am going to wear my encouraging t-shirt when I preach on the 2nd. 
And I hope that encourages you, I said to them as well. Somebody else, now this has got nothing to do with the sermon, but I just can't help myself. Somebody, <laughs> somebody else got me this. It's a hat and I've got lots of hats, but you've never seen a hat like this. You know, you know they're thinking, and it shows concern that I don't get knocked off me bike, that uh, look at that, look at that. A light shines in the darkness and the darkness isn't going to overpower that. And look, look at this, it's got one other thing. Yeah. Yeah. It is so easy to encourage other people uh, in this difficult world. You know, somebody else said um, that they weren't going to buy me anything. And that was terribly encouraging. You know why? Because they said, instead, we're going to make a donation to the leprosy mission on my behalf. Now, I heard of the leprosy mission, but I didn't know about it. So I looked it up. And actually, somewhere in India or Burma, a child who would have ended up horribly dis- disfigured, maybe blind, maybe with no arms and hands, you know, and a life of dependence will be c- treated for this very treatable disease if you've got the money by Christians. That encourages me massively. It must encourage the people in the leprosy mission and it must encourage those people, whether they're Christians or not, to ask who has done this kind thing for me. People motivated by a saved community who want to show that. Now, I said, that midweek, I said, I'm going to change. I'm not doing the sheep and the goats for the last judgment because it's too tricky to preach from and keep it positive. But you know, there's one thing I did notice in that story of the sheep and the goats. The sheep are amazed that God welcomes them in because they say, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or naked or a stranger or sick? They're amazed, you know, and and Jesus explains, you were doing it for me. Sorry, they they were sort of East Lancashire sheep, I have to say, yeah. um, (laughs) But they were amazed because they hadn't set out to do these things. They hadn't tried to earn their salvation. These things came naturally out of a saved life and living in the day, living soberly uh, and calmly and sensibly with Jesus, together with him. It was just natural for them. So if Luigi the inflatable Italian chef um, can do it, what can we do better? You know, you know how it goes, you know. You know there's people in this church who would just love a visit and people out with it and non-Christians when they're sick. You know there are neighbours to be looked out for. You know there are poor to be encouraged and given to. You know, what are we doing? Will we befriend the lonely better this year? Will we forgive those who've hurt us and been arbiters of peace? Will we drive in a way that protects others if if we just take our eyes off the road for a second? Will we support each other in these difficult times doing everything we can? And I know it's not always possible. There are good medical and ethical reasons why people struggle with these. But do everything we can to protect using masks and vaccines and rules and visiting restrictions, onerous though they might be. We put up with them, not just because they're helping ourselves, but because they are encouraging hard-pressed health service and essential services workers to keep going. And they are protecting other people from becoming sick. Will we park more often in Tulka Street to save spaces down here for people with kids um, and, and disabled and things like that, especially as the services grow busier again? Will we use our financial resources after reflecting how God would like us to use them uh, to build a fairer world around us and help those who are less well off? Will our lives display better in 2022 that we live in God's salvation and also that we live out God's salvation? My prayer for you, and I hope your prayer for me, is that this year, this will be our New Year's resolution to do this We're already doing it. Let's be charitable. Let's be like Paul to the Thessalonians, but do it even better. 
Let our New Year's resolution be that we will serve better and concentrate more on the reality that we are saved, our salvation is certain, and we just have to walk together with Jesus in this, in this light and in this freedom, in this world where we are surrounded by trials and tribulations and tears growing up among us. Let's pray, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for saving me from the judgment I deserved. Thank you uh, for coming into this world that first Christmas to pay the price for my sins. And Lord, help me in this year ahead, in 2022, to live awake and sober and aware of your needs in this world and ready not to judge others and not even to judge myself too harshly, but to constantly encourage and build others up. As the old Salvation Army hymn said, for strength to ever do what's right, for grace to conquer in the fight, for power to walk the world in white. Lord, send your spirit on me and on everyone here to walk that walk with you this year in the certainty of our deliverance from our rightly deserved punishments, but in the certainty of a life with you for all eternity that has already started in this here and now. Until you come, Jesus. Amen.